Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Music and entertainment sponsorship is not an area of sponsorship that lives in the limelight. And that's ironic considering the artists involved do exactly that day-to-day, live in the limelight. Ariana Grande, Post Malone, Selena Gomez, Kanye West, Katy Perry, Eminem, Demi Lovato, Lady Gaga, Kendrick Lamar. Just those artists, some of the biggest names in the music industry, between them boast 416 million Twitter followers. That's about 46 million each. That's just Twitter. That's not even looking at any other social media platforms. Just Twitter. We've said it on this show many a time. So much about sponsorship is a brand partnering with a rights holder to access an audience that they would otherwise find difficult. And it's clear that music artists have huge audiences and highly engaged ones at that. Of those names I just listed, all of them are managed by Universal Music Group, the world's leading music company. Universal own and operate a broad array of businesses engaged in not just recorded music, but also music publishing, merchandising, and audiovisual content in more than 60 countries. Their site says, quote, As digital technology refashions the world, our unmatched commitment to lead in developing new services platforms and business models for the delivery of music and related content empowers innovators and allows new commercial and artistic opportunities to flourish end quote combine that with the huge and engaged social media followings music certainly looks attractive to sponsors and as such in this episode we go inside sponsorship at universal music group and hear from roddy campbell managing director new business I'm your host, Daniel Oyston, and welcome to episode 60 of Inside Sponsorship, where we take you inside the sponsorship and commercial programs of both rights holders and brands right around the world. It's great to have you listening into the show. Just the one shout out this episode, Mark Ring from IMG messaged me on LinkedIn and said, Hi, Daniel. I just wanted to reach out and say that I am a big fan of the show. After discovering the podcast a few months ago, I have become an avid listener and slowly but surely working my way through the entire back catalogue. I look forward to continuing to use the fantastic insights and helpful tips in my new role at IMG. Great to hear from you, Mark. Thanks for getting in touch and congrats on the new role. I hope and I trust it is all going well. Before we hear from our guest, Roddy Campbell at Universal, I chatted to our MD, Mark Thompson, who has recently read a report by the Association of National Advertisers and the Marketing Accountability Standards Board called Improving Sponsorship Accountability Metrics. Mark's summation of the report, well, while there are lots of great insights in the report, Mark's takeaway was that sponsorship professionals should be focusing on measurement accountability. Here's Mark. Mark Thompson, welcome to the show. Thanks, Daniel. Reports always have some big juicy content they're usually chock full of insights they've usually got great titles that sort of get you excited about what's inside the report and the one that we're going to discuss this time on the show is no different and it's called improving sponsorship accountability metrics and that sounds great if you work in the in the in the sponsorship industry people should be excited by that but then you open it and it's 40 pages and i cut and pasted the words into uh word just now and it's over seven and a half thousand words and you think have I really got the time to read all of that? But never fear, you've read it and yeah. you're going to join us and talk about some of the key points and what to do about them. So, well, hooray. Um, 
I'd like to thank Tom Rishbeth for sending this to me and killing a couple of hours of, of my life. Thank you, Tom. Um, but for those that are out there, the, there's other good news is that there is a very good executive summary in the front of this. <laughs> um, that if you want to just get the key sort of dozen takeaways, there they are sitting there. And then obviously, if any of them interest you, you can go into those in depth through the report. So you don't actually have you to actually know how to read a report. I should be taking notes here. <laughs> yeah, I've read a few, mate. <laughs> but um, you picked out, you, as you said, there's there's twelve sort of major points that the report positions. But yeah. you think there's four real key ones. There's four real key ones, key ones, because we're doing a lot of work at the moment on the brand side of the sponsorship industry within the the sponsor of business, and and we're finding a lot of really consistent commentary questions pain points from the brands um that that are really consistent with the outcomes within this report across these four areas so you know i'm not an expert on everything sponsorship um but these four areas are things that we are really diving deep into our business in at the moment and you know when i read it i was like yes this is this is what the market is telling us and these guys have done a far deeper dive than us so it was really interesting for me and great validation obviously absolutely so they've and it obviously gives credibility to this type of report if if you know just on the surface level that we deal people are whinging about it these guys have gone in deeper and and found actual root causes of problems and all that sort of stuff as well which is quite interesting from for somebody who's a student of the sponsorship industry like <laughs> myself very good well student what have you learned let's jump into the four what's the first one so the the first one's sort of return on objective metrics um which is a, a bit of a highlight but so the findings within um the roi metrics of the report through media exposure and sales are not too surprising to me you know but the, they're kind of um, a bit of an age-old must-have um, necessary evil almost. Almost a safety net. Exactly right within the industry. Um, but the RRO metrics of awareness, attitude and volume of exposure surprise me a little bit. So you know, RRO runs much deeper than that and, and we know that. And, and the way that RRO is currently being measured is almost too closely aligned to ROI. Mm. You know, you're basically aligning your objectives to investment outcomes which which kind of is against the kind of the 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 whole genesis of what roho means and stands for so you know um i'm I'm talking about sort of what we see in the market and and what's starting to change in this sort of area and whilst the report goes into you know the the roho metrics which are being used you know we're starting to see brands want to see audience engagement growth uh loyalty growth and sentiment growth towards their brand, engagement levels. Um, they're all starting to fall into measurement conversations and, and are, you know, all measured from a combination of size, audience, and benchmarks. So to me, the return on objective metrics that we're starting to see in the industry becoming far more sophisticated and, and, and far more aligned to, you know, traditional marketing. Um, and so that there's a shift taking, you know, a brand taking an opportunity where they can take a borrowed audience and then start to make strategic decisions and activation opportunities to try and turn that audience into their own and therefore the metrics of what's the shift in preference what's the shift in sentiment what's the shift in favorability they're actually really important and becoming more so very good and and you've said it a hundred times well maybe not a hundred times on this podcast because i think this is only episode 60 but i've heard you say it a, a lot that sponsorship is 
essentially a way for a brand to access an audience that they could otherwise not access or would find it really difficult to access. And they've yep. probably been doing that for a long time now, but that shift is starting to occur from just accessing them to actually bringing them onto the other side of the fence as well. Yeah, exactly right. Return on objectives metrics is the first one. What's the second one? Um, sponsorship measurement focus. So Surely we're doing this already. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was um, kind of surprising again or, or a highlight for me, I guess, or low light, depending on, on if you're positive yeah. or, or negative <laughs> as a person. The glass is the wrong size. <laughs> That's right. Um, is The lack of budget on sponsorship management and management points to a, a bit of an immaturity in the market around sponsorship as a strategy. So we're still seeing, and I suppose this is why ROI and, and media exposure numbers and things like that are still the number one talked about, you know, element of metric and measurements. But for me, you know, whilst brands can help themselves by focusing more on strategic me- measurement, um, you know, there's there's an exciting stri- strategic sort of viewpoint that comes in here around how much growth and success is available within the industry. Because if you're one of the people that can start getting it right, yeah. Because the, the the immaturity in the market, just focusing on simple measurement areas and and having a lack of budget to spend on measuring success. Because how are you to plan for the future if you're not reviewing the past? Mm-hmm. The interesting dynamic for me there is, and I wonder if this is a byproduct of it, is so much other focus on marketing you got google adwords and your your metrics around your um your google analytics for you know, people visiting your website and you can count how many people have rung the phone from an ad and all this sort of stuff are just black and white hard metrics but yeah. and, and i think sometimes brands go into sponsorship just expecting that some numbers will come out of it that will validate it but it's it's so much harder and deeper than that yeah and and if if we get serious about it and we start analyzing and measuring success and objectives, setting objectives and then measuring outcomes against those, then you know those who take strategic partnerships seriously, like sponsorship as a strategy, which is obviously what I'm really passionate about, um, you know, they will start to see opportunity come their way, best practice starting to fall in their lap, and successful partnerships start to occur. It's almost like a light goes on. Well, it's, it, it lends itself to success, right? And we've seen a massive increase of brands going to market independently looking for solutions to help them measure these sorts of things. So they're starting to twig to it. They're looking for help. And there's going to be a shift in their consulting business to help brands do this. And then obviously with technology comes into play to help deliver the results. You're going to get you know, a really sharp upswing in the actual maturity of the market once people start to tweak to this and those that don't on the rights holder side of the fence put effort into delivering benefits that align to objectives helping track the success metrics around those aligned benefits to objectives outcomes return on objective rather than just return on investment those rights holders are actually going to get left on the bottom of the pile when it comes to selling well and it probably feels if the brand is doing that stuff well on their side of the fence and as a rights holder you're not you're probably what six nine maybe 12 months behind the brand and they come to you at the end and they say yeah look it's not really working you've been tracking this and you're like but i've delivered all the signage and the tickets yes it's gone the horse is bolted yeah yeah and delivery is one thing and it actually leads us really nicely into part three here see how i did that yeah nice 
which is an increase in focus on validated results. And and part of what I've I just spoke about around what we're seeing brands go to market for is also around them wanting to scorecard partnerships side by side. So there's a whole so like for like. Well, apples and apples. You yep. know, we've got a we've got a a, a growth of engagement as a percentage of their size of audience uh, uh you know how many people attended your fixtures across the year as a percentage of your capacity you know what's the engagement level in in your organization against you know the growth expected growth metrics that a brand is looking to see to help leverage towards engagement and then impressions fall into that and then you know media value falls into that because they're kind of using those types of metrics around who's watching and eyeballs and things as well and, the, and it all starts to fall together to kind of start to form a new ROI ROO metric what what's interesting about that is the brand saying that we want these like for like things to be measured rather than mm disparate rights holders in their portfolio coming and, and giving reports on this and this and the brand can't actually marry them up together that's right i mean what this shows me is there's an obvious need and brands are crying out for rights holders to work with brands and take their reporting seriously so that the brand managers the sponsorship managers the marketing team whoever at the brand you're dealing with you can help them validate their decision to sponsor you. That's what it's actually about. Well, they about. want the sponsorship to be successful. Well, they've made the decision to take the partnership on, so they want to look good for doing that. Hmm. So you can help them do that. And and that there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens outside of the view of the rights holder on the brand side of the fence, which, which I personally have learnt myself in the last sort of four or five years doing what we do at Sponserve, just seeing that from somebody that came from the rights holder side of the fence it's like well i never knew that sort of stuff went on and but rights holders should know that because they need to work towards being involved in that and the brands are probably the brands probably tell you if you ask and you you work with them a little bit more rather than just focusing on the delivery right and like an expert you've just segued perfectly in number four mate (laughs) well this one concerns me (laughs) well there's a real concern over non-transparent practices still within the like a big sort of percentage in the report will talk talks about this right i think this is point 12 of 12 or kind of at the back end of the report and when we talk about partnership sponsorships as partnerships and how important that is and all the things that you say would go in to make a good partnership transparency would be right up there in the top three or four qualities of a good relationship yet brands are still saying that we're worried that there's non-transparent practices well more than 50 percent of respondents from the brand side of the fence had concerns about transparency i couldn't believe that well what it what it does is that it kind of highlights there is still an overwhelming tendency of rights holders just to deliver what they've sold and then because that's comfortable comfortable they they'll tell you that they're doing more and they're delivering overs but but when you're not aligning benefits to objectives when you're not looking at sponsorship as a strategy and why a brand is sponsoring you rather than just how much they're giving you you could give somebody 50 extra tickets or a player appearance or an extra signed jersey or an invitation to corporate suite but if their objectives aren't like staff engagement or you know yeah customer engagement or you know anything things that those those you know, benefits of those yeah that they align things. to if they're looking at lead generation as a as a as a focus or media exposure brand exposure a jersey's uh, not someone jersey's not going to help them achieve no, that you think you've done a great job but they can't report that as 
a success metric internally and that transparency around what what is happening and what success is happening and a lot of the times the rights holder themselves will be tracking the engagements on their edms and the click-throughs on their website and the oppressions on things like that and this is where the brands want print transparency the brands want to be able to go hey this isn't working let us help you we do this in every other element of our business we kind of know what we're doing yeah. let's work together to get a result here that's the transparency element. you've got a resource there that probably wants yeah. to work with you it's not it's not saying oh we're getting 95 percent profit off this deal that's not the transparency mm. the brands are after they're after come to us early with a problem we'll help with a solution so it doesn't become an issue mm. It's a key point. So you look at those those four key things that came out of the report for you, the return on objectives metrics, sponsorship measurement focus, an increasing focus on validated results, and that's still a concern over non-transparent practices. What do we do with that? What's next? How do we address some of those things? Looks like four is my favourite number this week, wasn't it? Um, Good symmetry. Yeah, mate. I line it up. So it's like a balance sheet. <laughs> um. So I think new age measurement is 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 on the. I mean, it's already here in a way, but it's going to get better. And you know, the results from the survey, while pointing to current practices still relying on the traditional um, methods to evaluate success, I've written here that the you know there's there is a desperate need for a different valuation landscape because you know we're starting to see that turnstile making inroads with Formula One and World Rugby now um, looking for a new metric to be able to validate the value of their IP. Nielsen, the Nielsen company combined with Nielsen Sports providing a wide variety of evaluation options from IP to digital and and now even direct benefit values. I I was talking to somebody at Nielsen the other day and they're working out a way of how to value hospitality. And, you know, that's sort of, that's all new stuff because Mm. that there's an obvious hospitality sales and, and, client entertainment staff engagement those sorts of which things which is important because people just think that they're all jaunts and little yeah. you know freebies and unai important gun to the football and sitting in a box but there is real value if they're executed well if they can sell that product that product that proves that sponsorship has made a shift from being all about what you just said to being strategic in mm. every single element yep and it, and it also proves that I'll ne- never get invited to a corporate suite again <laughs> which is really disappointing <laughs> we can edit that out don't worry <laughs> anyone out there that has <laughs> spent ticket on get in now while you can so um, the new age measurements number one yeah what's number two well predetermined success metrics i can see in the future so i feel like a clever one um so using sort of proven b2b methods which sit outside of our sponsorship industry to sort of kick off review and renew partnerships so what i'm talking about there is sitting down with a partner and treating a sponsorship as a campaign and going um, okay, here's here's our assets. Here's what we're doing within our brand over the next 12, 18, 24 months. This is how we want to use our assets and here, here are the key success metrics that we want to see against all those different activation opportunities. So, And using that to help drive that success through that transparent communication and then using the, the hard data that you pull from that to become a new success metric. So you're still going to need to value your assets because so, you need to know what you're selling it for. You need to know the exposure achieving if a brand is looking for that. But then there's, there is this other element of strategy that's, which is coming hard at the line that, we, that you've kind of got to start to be able to counter. And I'm sure some tools will help with that. 
Number yeah. three? Oh, yeah. well, that wasn't such a good segue. No, it wasn't. No. I made that one up as I went. <laughs> you work better when you actually converse into it. I oh, know. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, automated <laughs> and internal tools. There you go. So <laughs> the emergence you know, of those internal tools to derive information, so self-service reporting is what I'm talking about here. So you know, you've got the things like your turnstiles and your Nielsen's, which are providing dashboard opportunities, um, Blink Fire Analytics is another company that are providing self-service sort of analytic tools where you can, you know, um, check out your success metrics, evaluate on the run. We're talking um, about a brand here being able to do that themselves? Both, yeah, yep. both sides of the fence actually. And and so we're, and, and that what that does is gives a unified vision because they're, they're, they're an external tool which it's is… a source of truth. Correct. It's a source of truth. No longer does it have to be just a CRM. And, and, and I'm not bound, as a brand, I'm not yeah. bound by waiting for the reports from the rights holder who are, oh, we're really busy at the moment. And you're mm. like, but I've got stuff I want to deliver to my board and I can just go in there and, as you said, self-service. Yeah, that's right. And, and I also think that the internal tools that you empl- employ within your business, so rather than trying to find an off-the-shelf, end-to-end solution… You know, there, there's so many product experts in the marketplace around even athlete data that can be used commercially, you know, your your measurement sort of organisations, your sponsorship management organisations like what we provide. Everybody can integrate and work with everybody now if, if the hmm. other side of the fence allows it. And that what that does is helps you build your, your own best practice. Hmm. So what works best for you as an organisation to help you deliver the right results that you need to. And with those tools, the self-servicing, you know, a bit of a focus on new age measurement and success metrics, that does segue really nicely into that fourth point about the lack of transparency and, and how we can now move to point number four, which is yep. a more transparent and, and a more collaborative process. Yeah, like I've written in my blog that, that you know, no more are we just delivering what we're sold and using what you bought. You, you, you're using an opportunity. It's not a transaction. No, it isn't. So you're buying assets that you can use in a bigger way. And so, you know, partnerships are about working together to drive mutual success. Remembering that the person that is managing the partnership, they're not there to see it's fail because they want to look good. They want to see that they've made the right decision. They want you to help them with that. And so working really nicely and closely together. And we see lots of amazing partnership managers do this all around the world. But it's a, it's a case of, you know, bringing using those people to bring the rest up to really improve the industry as a whole now the next heading on the blog here says where i sit now apart from next to me recording this podcast where do you sit <laughs> yes mate i you know over a relatively um you know short three-year period so sponsor is a business we started to assess and assist rights holders with the tools to better manage assess report and deliver their sponsorship programs and then in that period of time over that three years we've we've seen brands step up their game in in sort of the same area and and the the sharpness that that's happened particularly over the last 12 months has been really surprising you know it's it's no longer just managing off a off a sort of a, a term sheet and a ring bound folder or anything anymore from the brand side or even the spreadsheets isn't good enough because their sponsorship is becoming a stri- much more strategic element it's not just your whip and have you delivered the tickets and the hospitality and the signage tick 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 all right speak to you next month exactly so you know the tools combination of sort of what we do combination of what some of the what next features in the blog like your turnstiles and 
your different Nielsen options and, you know, Blinkfire Analytics and all those sorts of businesses are out there. A mixture of that will help raise the levels and the expectations. And like what Repucom did all those years ago where they set a currency for sponsorship success, I think the next horizon is the, the sort of currency success for success is actually going to be around data and then how that data is sort of transported into a reportable format to be able to deliver really you know, qualitative reporting rather than just quantitative. A lot of the things we've spoken about here, those four key points, the, 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 the concerns around return on objective metrics and, and measurement focus and increased focus on validated results and the concerns around transparent practices and, and trying to work more collaboratively should we just cry and and run away and it's all too hard or should we be excited about the opportunity that's in front of us it's seven and a half thousand words later and i was still excited <laughs> about our industry so i don't know if that says something about me or the or the future that probably both us, probably both i mean the the immaturity that we're still seeing when you get deep into reports like this it's it's all upside right the growth of our market we're in a strong 12-figure industry now and it's growing every year so you know tech improvements and you know the ability to for brands to connect with independent audiences better than ever before there's greater opportunity for sponsoring brands to engage directly with consumers in many many ways i'm I'm so excited i don't even know what's around the corner but i know i want to be part of it and and i think it's super exciting also exciting is you can go and read this blog on the website. Just head to sponsor.net where, as we said before, it's 40 pages long, the report. So there is a link to it, 7,700 words roughly. Yep. But as we've just spoken about, Mark's distilled that down into the four key focus points that he thought were really important and then what we can actually do about them. Also exciting, a lot of people think, he's going travelling. And I think when this show comes out, you will be travelling. Is that true? Yes, mate. When I do you head be. off? Yeah, I... What? date is it seventh uh, yeah i head off on the 13th uh to new york and toronto very good never been to canada this will be a good trip no yeah. going to see the wolf pack oh yeah the rugby league team yeah mate they got a home semi-final on the saturday so i'm going to stay there on that up there on the friday with them and then going to stay overnight and take a take in their semi-final on the saturday and no, no england trip uk trip just north america just north america right, so yeah. if you're in new york or yes. Toronto, yep. And you, you, you're short on cash and long on time, and you want a coffee or a beer. Mark will sort you out. Just get <laughs> well, in touch. I'll, I'll I'll give you the the sort of company, and then Eddie Fitzgibbon, who's our North American VP, will provide the cash. Be on call, Eddie. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Cheers, mate. I reminded you in the intro that so much about sponsorship is a brand partnering with a rights holder to access an audience that they would otherwise find difficult. It's clear that music artists have huge audiences and highly engaged ones at that. Universal Music Group is the world's leading music company, owning and operating a broad array of businesses engaged in recorded music, music publishing, merchandising, and audiovisual content in more than 60 countries. Roddy Campbell, Managing Director, New Business, now joins us on the show to take you inside sponsorship at Universal Music Group. Here's Roddy. Roddy, welcome to Inside Sponsorship. We always start with a few icebreaker questions just to get the show going and to help the listeners get to know you a little bit better. The first icebreaker question is, if you were at karaoke, what would be your go-to song? Oh, uh, don't judge me so early on in the interview. I wouldn't say I have a, a go-to karaoke song, but um, just from 
recent memory, I was in Japan for a wedding last year and uh, me and a friend got up and did did a cover of uh, Don't You Want Me by the Human League. I like to think brought the house down. So I'd, I'd say that is, uh, that is the most recent memory I have of karaoke. We'll assume that bring the house down means in a positive way. Now, Roddy, the second yeah, icebreaker... I brought the small pokey room in Tokyo <laughs> down. The second icebreaker question is, what band would you have loved to have been a frontman for? Okay, well, I'm I'm a, I'm a child of the kind of Britpop era and the British indie scene, so I'd probably have to pick someone in that space and, and, you know, a band with a bit of swagger that has a bit of fun along the way. So I'd probably go for the Stone Roses or, or maybe in later years, someone like a Kasabian, someone like that, someone that looks like, you know, proper rock and roll and has a bit of fun along the way. Very good. Now, Roddy, what sort of roles have you had in sponsorship across your career? Well, I started in sports, in, in football in London. Um, out of I did a psychology degree, and out of that, I was lucky enough to get a spot on the, the grad scheme at the Football Association. It was you know, tough to get into sports marketing unless you did kind of an unpaid internship back in the day, but the FA started doing this this scheme uh, where it takes you around all the various departments. It was in, a, in an era when they were really creating brands in you know out of the England team and the FA Cup and moved to Swish offices in the middle of Soho and started a grad scheme. So it was an amazing time to to join. So yeah, I did the grad scheme, then became a business development manager, effectively selling sponsorships to the England football team when Beckham was in his pomp, um, and and kind of various other deals like merchandising and, and e-commerce. So I did that for for four or five years, spanning a couple of World Cups. Uh, and then I moved to Australia. Um, my, I met an Australian girl and moved over here with her and uh, got a job on the media side in Fox Sports, which is less sponsorship, more kind of media rights and creating kind of mobile TV channels and pay-per-view out of all the rights they'd acquired. Um, did that for just over a year, then then moved um, quite surprisingly away from sport. I thought I'd stay in sports my whole career and just decided to take a a punt on an opportunity within music and that was um 10 years ago i kind of thought i'd do do it for a few years and move back to sport but it's now been 10 years so i moved to emi and then five years ago they got acquired by by universal so i moved over to universal so now I'm in my current role as, as managing director of new business at universal now i wasn't sure where to put this question in terms of setting the show up because sponsorship in your space isn't something that i think a lot of people understand like they might understand sponsorship in other sectors for example sport but let's set the foundation for the show as a rights holder what does selling and managing sponsorships look like for universal music group well i guess universal's core business is recorded music rather than creating sponsorship properties so um in, in that world you know they're, they're the biggest player so ne- nearing a 50 percent share of you know the music that you you sell on on spotify or itunes or on youtube um so that's the, the core business uh, and i guess off the back of that you know we've created this secondary business which is really um integrating brands in, into the stuff we're doing with with our artists i mean we do have um some more kind of tangible sponsorship properties like we own festivals in certain markets that we you know we're just out selling traditional festival sponsorship but but the sort of um products that we take to the brand market in in australia and other markets is 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 a little bit more unstructured actually i mean we've got a huge selection of artists that are 
creating content and producing music videos or doing showcases to launch a new album or coming into market from from the US and UK and in, in, into Sydney and we've got to do an event. So out of the kind of normal run of, of a label business, there's lots of kind of opportunities, probably like 10 things a month that, that would be opportunities for brands that we take to the market. Um, so it's it's really quite fluid and quite varied. There's lots of artists, lots of different opportunities. So we're constantly in contact with all sorts of agencies and brands, just communicating with them and telling them the opportunities. But um, it's probably evolved to a point where it's a bit more the other way. We're kind of finding stuff for, for, for brands. So we get a brief from an agency or from a brand, and then we go into our world uh, of contacts, really, and knowing all the artists that are in cycle, who's coming out, uh, and come up with with an idea uh, that's bespoke for the brand. So it's it's moving away from less selling products and properties to, to more coming up with agency style solutions. Interesting. Now you're managing director new business at Universal Music Group. That sounds like a pretty broad role. Tell us about how you manage all that. What does your team look like, and what does a typical week or maybe say a fortnight look like for you and the team? Okay, well, I guess, you know, just going back to what I said about the core business, I look after new business, which effectively means everything except selling music. So that might be, say, 75% roughly of our business. And then the other 25% and growing is made up from from non-recorded income. So it's it's more about the the revenue we make from licensing and sponsorships, uh, merchandise, that sort of stuff. So uh, I have a couple of different business units. So I look after licensing, which is a team of four people, which in music world means you know licensing our music to TV ads and soundtracks and and films and and that sort of stuff. Um, so there's a team that do an amazing job of making sure we're really well re- represented on creative agencies wanting to use music. And then there's a I guess the newer part of business is is brand partnerships. So there's a team, a core team of six that work in that, which is, uh, and then there's a bunch of freelancers that are in and out of the office at any one point in time. So they are, you know, broadly split into sales and new business, going out pitching, um, account management, and then creative. So we have a creative um, director and a strategy director and junior creative. So they're the ones that are helping, you know, add that creative gloss onto what we do. So, um, yeah, a typical week is there isn't really a typical week, but you know there's a combination of um, new businessy type stuff, so going out and pitching properties or, or you know doing creds to, to brands and agencies. So I'll join the new business team in, in some of those pitches in Sydney and Melbourne primarily, and then uh, going to agency whips, you know, po- you know showing up at content shoots, that sort of stuff, producing events, so that I'm, I'm probably less hands-on with that. There's a team that will just, you know, manage a certain account and and liaise with our, our freelance suppliers on that sort of stuff. And then, I guess, the internal side of Universal Music, there's lots of meetings with artists and managers and, and sort of label marketing meetings to sort of toss out what we're going to do around a certain release we have or, you know, just brainstorming creatively. So it's probably... 70% of the time external and then 30% of the time just having these internal sessions. And then, you know, around the time in the office is that we are very kind of global in our structure at Universal. So there's lots of calls with, with Hong Kong or with, or with Paris or, or LA just to, you know, coordinate on global pitches or to, to track the numbers. So, yeah, unfortunately, um, it's pretty always on. Um, yeah, it's quite exciting at the same time. 
Now, music industry has been one that has been disrupted heavily by technology, shifting away from traditional music stores and physical assets like CDs. How do you think that's impacted sponsorship in the industry? It's been a, it's been a rough ride over the last decade, really. But you know, there is a lot of optimism in the business at the moment. Like you only need to look around at like Spotify IPO for. 20 plus billion dollars and you know there's there's a lot of investment going into music so the good times are potentially on their way back but yeah i mean the decline really kicked in around the same time i joined the music industry i like to think that's a coincidence but about you know 11 years ago um piracy really took a grip and our sales numbers for cds in particular really really tumbled um so what impact has that had on sponsorship i i, I guess it's actually probably grown the sponsorship market primarily because artists needed to supplement their dwindling income from recorded sales with working through brands. And that was noticeable, you know, like you could tell that artists, um, when I first started, maybe were three out of, you know, maybe three out of 10 artists would want to work with a brand. Now it's, you know, nine or 10. So there's definitely a more, more willingness to work with, with artists. And that's probably a result of, you know, the, the, the effects of piracy a decade ago. So it's actually turning into a positive for us now. But what I would say is the core business has, um, the rot has stopped and we've started to grow again globally and in Australia. So there's been four years of of growth driven by streaming services like Spotify. So the good the good times are back and, you know, our profit levels are near near where they were right at the, the pinnacle of the industry in the early 90s. So not only have we recovered from you know that those problems caused by technology but we're we're potentially going to surpass the, the the halcyon days this new generation of streaming has opened up a lot more consumption and it's you know that that is another effect on sponsorship because it just means that in today's age you know music consumption is higher than ever not just in terms of streaming but also going to gigs and buying merchandise and all that sort of stuff so consumption of our core product is up so it's more relevant to consumers and therefore music sponsorships are more relevant again Sounds very, very positive. One other thing that's changed or at least maybe become a little more common is rights holders partnering with other rights holders. So, for example, in the UK, Chelsea have a partnership with Sony Music, while Man U and Arsenal have partnerships with 20th Century Fox and Universal Pictures, respectively. What benefits do you see in rights holders partnering with other rights holders? And do you think this type of collaboration is something that we'll see become more commonplace as rights holders position themselves more as global brands? I think we're seeing a lot more of that, that sort of thing. I think the, you know, the, the big two passion points being music and sport, uh, I think there's quite a few case studies of them, those worlds coming together. Those ones you mentioned, I mean, we've been involved in a few. I think one of our labels, Interscope, had a strategic alliance with Bayern Munich, and that basically consisted of a couple of appearances at their big games from from Interscope artists, but then it's more really starting to drill into the social audiences of the players and the artists. So you'd have artists doing skits with players or, you know, potentially pointing to goals and stuff like that. And then the players were were sharing playlists or video clips. So we started to tap into their social channels. That's really, really the crux of those types of relationships. It's accessing each other's audiences which may be supplementary to the audiences we we can reach directly through our artists and, and fans and you know even on, on a more local level you know we have our artists performing at the afl grand final and the nrl grand final you know those are big moments that help 
um, get big artists into market and we'll we'll try and plan a promo trip or a promoter might try and put a, a tour on sale around the same time so the, the the sports bodies definitely seem to be looking at music as a way to broaden the appeal of their events and, and kind of make them more lifestyle events uh, rather than just sporting so that you know they, they're trying to broaden their audiences and, and drive memberships as well so I think it's a it's definitely a sweet spot and we've we've talked about focusing on it a bit a lot more on a, on a global level i think um in the same sort of vein actually esports is in every other meeting i seem to go to at the moment <laughs> you know lots of lots of chat about how we leverage that i mean you know artists like drake have done collaborations with gamers on twitch and it's got a lot of a lot of press so we're definitely looking at that more from a marketing perspective how can we market our artists and albums through through these insane audiences that these leagues and these teams have i think our canadian affiliate just launched a partnership with luminosity at a league over in, in canada um so we, we definitely think that's an area that is, is worth exploring if not already saturated here as you mentioned before you're at fox sports and before that the football association in the uk what was it like transitioning to the music and entertainment space how different is it and, and what were some of the challenges you faced during the first 12 months I wasn't a big fan the first few months. I got to say, I was thinking, "What have I done? I've left a left a great <laughs> fun gig at Fox Sports, going to you know every sporting event every week, uh, to an industry which you know was in real decline, and uh, and there wasn't really a developed sponsorship market. So the big contrast was it was so immature in, in terms of working with brands, whereas sports, you know, very established players, very structured um, properties that sort of stuff. Music was a bit of a wild west. So it took me a while to kind of get my head around what, what rights we have. I remember Robbie Williams was coming into to market and, you know, me from a sports background, just thought, well, he's on a label. We can just go and sell us the, the, the image rights and the sponsorship. And, you know, our lawyers were saying, no, we don't have those rights. We've only got the recorded music and you can't do this and you can't do that. And I was kind of thinking it was quite limited. And then we had artists that didn't want to do stuff and we didn't, I didn't have a team. Um, so it was pretty pretty tough those first six months, twelve months, and then then we turned a corner. And I think you know artists wanted to to work with brands, and I, I, I grew a team, and we got a couple of wins away, and I kind of figured out where the value was basically, and it made made the relationships that allowed me to stitch together the value that we could create for brands. Um, so I'd say the main difference is it's a lot more structured the sports marketing landscape, whereas it's a lot more fluid. Um, in, in music and there's lots of different players in the ecosystem from labels to artists to agents to promoters um so you kind of a lot of brands are a bit scared off by the complexity of it but i, I actually think it's an opportunity i think it's uh being fluid allows us to basically do what we want for brands and, and create more bespoke packages so i think it's working in music is is a lot more um flexible in, in a way you've just got to be prepared to sort of invest the time you, there aren't too many off-the-shelf properties for brands but there's a lot of value to be extracted. What types of brands do you think music and entertainment sponsorship is best placed to help? Well, I, I, there's definitely common uh, categories that work the most in brands, like obviously um, technology and telcos. They seem to, you know, all of the established players in the main markets have a music strategy. I think that is, you know, the scale they have, the number of customers that they need to engage with frequently is, is probably driving that, but also particularly for technology and hardware, it's, it's quite close to music consumption. So it's, it's kind of relevant for a, for a handset to, to do stuff in music. 
Um, so we've definitely done a lot in that space. And then our alcohol as well, just because there's lots of events and parties and we're good at parties and so are artists. So we, we tend to do a lot in that category as well. Um, but what I, you know, I would say any brand can find a relevance for, for music. You know, the, the stats will show that most consumers are, uh, you know, will, will like or love music. So it's really just how do we harness that passion to sort of drive drive business results for them. So we, we're now actively trying to think a bit more, a bit less obviously about the categories that we can work in. You know, things like tourism and travel is a real focus for us because, you know, their marketing has moved to just creating content about those regions, which, you know, we've got artists all around the world and we're shooting videos all around the world and they're proud about where they're from or they're excited to visit a new region. So it's really, it sort of marries up quite well with destination marketing. So we're doing a lot in that space around the world at the moment. Um, you know, FMCG driving, driving activity through sales on, on shelf is, is popular. Um, but yeah, we, we're thinking about everything. We even have, you know, all sorts of categories we've, we've either had approaches from or, or targeting just as a, you know, one that we haven't done anything, a category we haven't done anything in, we, we got an approach from. We had to laugh, no disrespect, but we got a proposal from a brand that was selling incontinence pads. Right. <laughs> I wanted to do a deal with uh, one of our artists, Andre Rear, and put put a packet on every seat of the stadium. <laughs> you can see the kind of uh, the alignment of the audiences there, but it wasn't quite the um, image we wanted to portray for, for the artist. So, you know, that's, that's a category we probably haven't tapped into yet. But I'd say, um, you know, it's any, any category, we can make it work now. It might take some creative thinking to uh, execute well. <laughs> Roddy, what about this? The- authentic. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Now, Roddy, what about the, the, the business results, the objectives? You mentioned it just there about wanting to drive those. If I'm a brand, what are the sponsorship objectives that you know, Universal Music Group are best placed to help me achieve? Well, I think the one that comes up the most is reach. You know, like we, we've had to work really hard to translate what we do for brands into demonstrable, if that's a word, reach. Um, so, you know, really quantifying. You know, we know our artists have have pretty potent social channels. So how can we get smarter at, at using those and, and our fan bases and programmatic and things like that to, to really drive reach of a campaign? And that was a bit of a you know, that when we first started doing this 10 years ago, I don't think we focused on that as much. We'd, we'd sell an artist or an event to a brand and then it's kind of their job to go and find amplification for it. Whereas now to get deals away, we, we kind of have to bake all that into the, to the initial proposition. So we've had to work really hard at, you know, how can we grow our own audiences? How can we get really smart at using data to target fans of, of, of the artists that are featuring in these campaigns better than anyone else can? So. I'd say if you want to achieve targeted reach, particularly to to, to a younger demographic, then then a music partnership is is pretty good for that. Um, you know, obviously, brand love and you know the emotional power that music has potentially over other sponsorship properties will, if done well, um, shift the dial in terms of how brands engage emotionally with with your brand. Music's probably top of the list in terms of the potential to do that. You can obviously get it wrong. Um, but you know, I think if that music should definitely be in a consideration set if you're if you're trying to you know get a more a cultural relevance to to your brand and make consumers love it a bit more. And then you know, then there's more specific things that will obviously um, that, that could be targeted, like you know, creating content for your own channels and that sort of stuff. Music is generally a, a pretty good 
um, ammunition to do that. What's it like aligning a brand to an artist? So early on, where do you and your team try and find alignment and synergies? Yeah, it's pretty targeted these days, actually. A um, couple of levels, like on, on all, all our local artists, and we've probably got 40 local artists, we've got the close relationships and we, we are, as a sort of matter of process, drill into their personality beyond the music, you know, what, what, their, what their interests are beyond recording and performing, you know, what, what brands they consume themselves or what their hobbies, that sort of stuff. So we've got kind of got a file on all of them and because every other market does the same. When Sean Mendes or someone comes into town, we know what he likes to do. And that that sort of generally drives the content we create as a label, you know, because we know Justin Bieber likes skateboarding, so let's make him do some skateboarding with kids in Western Sydney. He will want to do that, and it comes across as authentic. So that that sort of knowledge bank lends itself to brands. So that that drives a lot of the matching. And then to back that up, this kind of qual sorry quant stuff, you know, just Facebook affinities and actual data on brands that that match those artists so we generally try and start a conversation with a brand with some sort of insight about their brand or their category with the touring artist and you just mentioned sean mendez and justin bieber do you have a black book of sorts of brands that will be your first port of call for sponsorship and they maybe even kind of expect you to call because of the history or do you start from a base of well this artist and this personality is best aligned to help along these lines along these lines with the brand and then go and look at brands irrespective of whether you actually have a relationship with them or not yeah good question i mean we've worked with a lot of the, the brands in this market i mean there's always turnover at brands so you kind of you lose your contacts and you have to replace them but you know we, we know most of the brands here that but it's not scattergun you know like we know an artist is only going to to work with certain brands or they're only going to feel that artist is relevant so we try and for each property ha- have a have a hit list and then work our angle back to that decision maker whether it's through, through an agency or direct to client um but it's also not just about the brand fit you know we need to be across what the market is doing um so the biz dev team are, are you know always looking at product launches or just having conversations with brands knowing that they might be launching something in march next year so we've almost got this um you know like a lot of agencies would i guess just knowing who's going to be active around march when we've got a property so that those two filters who's actually a good fit for the artist and who's going to have what do we know from a local market intel perspective to kind of drives the initial reach out process but you know as i said at the start it's 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 probably less time spent pitching stuff and and more just going out going to brands and say what do you want to do tell us about this launch and we'll go and find something to make it work that's most of the business is happening that other way around now and let's say you get a brand across the line or, or they they share with you what they're looking to achieve how is the sponsorship deal typically structured in the music and entertainment space in terms of the kinds of assets and rights that a brand can probably expect to be able to explore activating all the usual stuff you'd expect if, if we're creating an event or, or they're getting access to an event there'll be you know some some tickets and some meet and greets and promotional inventory they can use and some definition around what channels they can run that promotion in um image rights uh increasingly it's less about you know using an artist's image and it's more we want to create some content with that artist so generally the artist would would make themselves available for a shoot um that either we would do for our agency or or another agency would do and then you know some social amplification that's 
there aren't many deals that don't don't have the artist posting the you know the call out for competition entries or the content post event through their channels and that's you know that's that's incredibly powerful like we've we've had we've had campaigns before where there's been let's say it's a major international artist performing at an event and there might be a, a media schedule that the brand has bought on radio or tv running the comp and then there's the artist socials with a, with a small bit of facebook spend to amplify that and you know that the artist social spend even though it's geo-blocked to australia can drive five times as many entries as a million dollar plus media schedule so it's 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 really powerful as you'd expect you know these are fans of the artists that engage with them but that that's the um that's the real gold dust for a brand being able to access that audience so that there aren't many deals that don't try and encompass that now i'm wondering whether that'll be the answer to the next question accessing a, a, an artist's social audience but what is the one right or benefit that you offer and think other rights holders they just can't compete with it it's not just about access to socials i'd say if that if i had to answer that question i'd say it's the access overall access to the talent like the, the depth and the breadth of talent access that we have i don't think there are many entities out there that could compete you know and it's not just touring the artists we, we are producing content on the phone with them and their, their managers every day we're, we're trying to find a way to get them into sydney or melbourne so there's there's lots of um real real communication with the with the artist that we can start to um, bounce ideas off you know and i think that's what when brands start to work for us and we can even bounce potential briefs off off our artists or even get give them the brief and they can come up with their own ideas that's where the, the best campaigns come from so it's us really just facilitating that 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 close connection with the talent i'd say is our our point of difference and and the other thing i think is we've really built a creative resource here that you know, there's lots of amazing creative agencies out there, but we we come from, we've got agency people and music people together, and so we can try and you know come up with a, a creative execution that, that's going to work authentically with the artist. So I don't, uh, you know, just buying rights to a festival or an artist and then using your other agency to to go and come up with a campaign can can sometimes be a bit clunky. Whereas if we we can sort of meet the ends meet from what a, what a brand wants to achieve and what our artist is comfortable doing. So that's kind of what we really have fun with, to be honest, that creative process. What's been your favourite sponsorship that you've executed at Universal Music Group? Run us through it and, and tell us why you loved it so much and why it was good. Okay, I'm going to pick one from um, this year, actually. Just a couple of months ago, we had real fun with a campaign for American Express and the Killers. So, I mean, we've been working with, with, with Amex for a few years. I mean, they've been um, invested in music for, for decades in, in Australia and, and around the world doing, doing kind of more prepaid, uh, sort of pre-sales to tours and stuff like that. But they had a new brand campaign launching, which happened to have a Killers track, which we licensed in the US. And around the same time, the Killers were touring here. So, you know, we, we looked at the opportunity, you know, that the heavens were gliding in terms of the opportunity here, but we could have just broken a tour sponsorship, but, you know, we actually looked at what Amex wanted to do. And, you know, it was all about backing Australia, backing the live music industry, backing nightlife in Sydney. So we actually pitched an idea to the Killers about them going to a live music venue, being Selena's in Coogee, you know, like an iconic venue that Nirvana had played back in the day and Excess had played and, you know, probably not as um, well known now. So we gave it a lick of paint 
and did a secret show with the Killers the night after their Australian tour ended. And it was just announced as a free show on socials and it went absolutely nuts. You know, the demand for tickets and the, and the press coverage that it got um, was was amazing. And, and that night we turned Selena's into the start of the night it was like a, you know, a credit card corporate function. And then after it was a, a rocking gig and the Killers really showed up and they're having fun. You know, they weren't playing 20,000 people in the stadium. They're playing under a thousand people in this iconic Sydney venue. So they were just loving it and you could just tell and the content we created. Um, so the brand love that Amex got off the back of it was, was huge. And, and out of the back of that night, they've, you know, launched this grant scheme where they're backing live music and giving grants away to, to venues and to artists and to all sorts of music entities, which we're, we're helping them with. So what went beyond a night, the sentiment that was created around that execution is now an ongoing platform. So it's kind of driven Amex's positioning in music. So rewarding on a lot of different levels, really. Now, drilling down, and it's been a, a constant theme throughout this chat, but content creation has become an integral part of sponsorships. And we see, as we've spoken about, lots of brands and artists linking up and creating you know, amazing campaigns and, and ultimately some super cool content. As such, and you've alluded to it a little bit throughout this chat, you also serve as the managing director of Bring, which is Universal's branded entertainment agency that, and I quote because I wanted to get this right, works with a variety of clients on experiential and content marketing, turning customers into fans through ideas that live authentically in entertainment. Why does Universal have essentially an internal agency for this work as opposed to just engaging an, an external agency? I think over the years we've we've kind of had joint ventures with with various agencies or agency or, or you know holding groups where you know there's access to our talent with with an agency service and, and take that out and it hasn't really ever fired. Um, and we our relationship with brands and what we were doing was becoming more agency like, you know, like a, a definitely alluded to it a few times but it was less about selling an artist or an event it was more coming up with a strategy or creating an event so we wanted to i guess reposition ourselves slightly in in terms of how clients perceived us um and also we built up the capability we went and recruited a lot of agency people to to come into the business and so you know for the first time it felt like we could have credibility positioning ourselves as, as more an agency so we're not just a list of artists and events we will we will come and deliver a solution for you um, based on your brief. And that might entail going to a, an artist that is not on Universal. We're kind of, I guess, the, the brand bring has positioned ourselves a bit more neutrally as well. So a lot, a lot of the stuff we do with clients doesn't necessarily um, tally up to something that's going on in Universal's world. We'll just go and, you know, create an event um, or, or a piece of content that, that delivers for their brief. Um, and so I think, you know, been live with that kind of two years I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of of some of the the campaigns that we've managed to, to get away i think they're you know comparable to to, to to much more established agency work so for a record label to to enter that highly competitive market and and you know make some traction i think we're making incremental business as an agency beyond just access to talent now so yeah we, we we're just getting going on that i'd say 
let's say we have some brands listening, and I know we do, obviously, and they haven't explored sponsorship in the music and entertainment space. Why do you think they should look at sponsorship in music and entertainment, maybe over traditional rights holders, maybe like sports teams, or even how they could make both work together in their sponsorship portfolio? I think one thing I would say is it's brands that are scared off by being messy or or hard to work in, I I don't think that's the reality anymore. I think there's lots of good case studies that will show that, you know, you you can avoid those complexities and and, and some of those times brands have been burnt before. So I think there is, it's it's a really positive time for, for brands to be working in music. I think, to be honest, if given you know the prevalence of music and and how much it touches everyday lives if if you don't have a, a playing music as a as a big brand sponsoring lots of things you're probably missing a trick you you may be not catering to a certain audience that sports um may not cover you know very very male skewed traditionally so there's definitely um just a, a pure demographic rationale for for getting involved in music um and i think you know like a lot of sponsorship conferences they talk about wanting to you know have slightly more tailored offerings and stuff well i think music and and working with with an entity like us gives you that opportunity like we we just create stuff from from scratch for a brand and you know we know artists and we know event producers and we know pr people like we we can you know rather than buying an off-the-shelf festival package you know what we've done with with beer clients is rather than sponsoring a festival and pouring beer well, what are you trying to achieve? You're trying to get a lot of young people in the field drinking beer. Well, let's just go and create that from scratch, and then you can you can brand it however you like. Um, so I think there's um, a lot more opportunity to to tailor the execution really tightly to what you're trying to achieve. So I think it's you know that the 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 pure passion drives drives a need to hit a certain demo, but I think the ability to to be really fluid um, in that process is is hopefully appealing to brands. You're very big on focusing on asking brands, what do you want to achieve? And then going away and seeing what you might be able to align to those objectives and and their goals, which is very smart. But if a brand has maybe multiple sponsorships, maybe within sports and, and other areas, what other sorts of questions or conversations are you having with them and what questions are you asking to help sort of pique their interest in exploring music and entertainment sponsorship as an option rather than just going to a meeting and because I'm assuming you don't go to a meeting and say, what objectives are you trying to achieve? And they say A, B and C and you say, okay, we'll come back if we've got something. What else is covered in the conversation? Yeah, I mean, there's always some thought starters, like just getting people excited about the sort of, the sort of things that are happening in their category. So we, we'll always share some best practice from around the world that similar brands in their world are doing. That that usually gets them thinking a bit to start the meeting. And, that, you know, we'll all, there are some tangible artist opportunities and event opportunities that we'll share, as in slightly more off-the-shelf um, things. But then, then it's really, you know, just getting to know what they're trying to achieve from sponsorships, what what is catered for and not catered for in their existing portfolio, and um, where the where the opportunity might be. Um, but you know, it is it is quite daunting and overwhelming for brands that haven't worked in music before. So we've really tried to put some structure around it. So we've actually created this workshop style forum called Soundcheck, where we will bring a load of insights about the category, um, bring some data along to, you know, spend a few hours with their marketing teams, ask the questions that give us an understanding of the brands. And then after a couple of weeks, basically, we'll, we'll come up with, with what we call a brand anthem, which is their, their positioning, recommending positioning in music. 
and that might be spontaneous gigs or it might be you know super exclusive content you can't get anywhere else whatever it is then then you know if they want to progress with that we'll start to put the, the detail on the execution so I think we've got a lot better at breaking that process down and, and you know, that's that's turning um, initial cold calling kind of meetings into into real briefs and, and actual execution. So I think that, that there is a lot more science behind it than, than, than most brands appreciate. They're, they're always quite blown away with the rigour that we put around that process. Where do you see the sponsorship space in music and entertainment going in the next five to ten years? Because you've had good times, you've had some tough times, you've now turned the corner and it appears that there's some really good times again. What's going to happen in the next five to ten years in that sponsorship space? Well, I think there'll be growth for sure. I think, you know, the size of the music sponsorship market in the US is is massive and it's you know it's not not really even got going in australia there's probably four or five brands that have an always on strategy whereas you know just that 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 will probably get to 25 brands in the next couple of years so i think everyone will have a strategy they can't they can't you know a lot of the bigger brands can't really ignore one um i think it will uh you know it will evolve like i've talked again about lots of brands wanting more bespoke properties and that that could be a uh, uh, you know, it could be a media sponsorship. You don't need to sponsor X Factor or The Voice. Let's do something on YouTube just for your brand. So we've got a couple of conversations there. Um, and I think, you know, technology is going to shift things. So obviously VR and AR, we've got our eye on. That should open up more, you know, content-led formats for brands. Uh, the content we're creating lends itself really well to that format. So I think that will just help grow the market. And I think um, from an artist's perspective, I think what we really want to do more of is longer term partnerships. I mean, those big end of town acts like the Candace, they they do, you know, really integrated partnerships where there's equity stakes and with, with the with the Adidas's and Pumas of this world. You know, that, let's let's approach that at all different levels. You know, you can work with an artist, not just get them to endorse a product for a month, but we want to you know try and find those those associations that we can turn into kind of more rounded long term partnerships. I think there will definitely be a move towards that and that that could be a label deal or it could be an artist deal so yeah i think more of them i think deeper artist partnerships um yeah and i think more more brands looking to create their own brands as opposed to you know badging other entities hypothetical let's say you are moving back to a sports-based rights holder to head up their huge commercial program congratulations by the way (laughs) what have you learned about sponsorship working in the music and entertainment industry that you think you'd be able to better apply at your new job i'm I'm probably a little bit out of touch with the sports uh you know their approach to selling properties now I i was right in that zone um a decade and I kept pretty good touch with it but I've got so excited about the opportunities of music I'm, I'm probably you know I don't want to make assumptions as to how it works there now but I would say we've had to work incredibly hard creatively to you know to to create properties for brands so I think it's probably a little bit less um creative in, in sports the way they sell because they you know they've got these established season of games and you get this many rights and this many player appearances and this much perimeter board space and that sort of stuff it's it's much more structured whereas it's it, you're really just having to you know fine fine tune um a lot of different assets and deliverables to, to what a brand wants so i definitely if i was going back into a more structured world I'd, I'd probably try and create a point of difference by adding that that kind of more versatile approach to how a, a, a property can can apply and, and, you know, like I say, building in 
the media value in sports, certainly at the top end of town, you buy the sponsorship rights and, you you know, the media rights are sold separately. Whereas, you know, what we've had to do is we, we sort of sell everything as an integrated media proposition. So I would probably try and try and do that as a as a strategy as well. But like I say, I'm sure these things are happening in sports. So I don't want to um, make those assumptions. But yeah, I, th- I think, um, yeah, that those those principles I would try and apply if I was going back into a sports world. Very good. Roddy, if people want to get in contact with you, find out more about Universal Music Group or bring Universal's branded entertainment agency, what can they do? LinkedIn's probably the best initial start. Like, Just drop me a line on there and we can you know, tee up a meeting. I mean, you can yeah, get, check out the Universal and bring websites. But um, yeah, drop me a line on LinkedIn and let's, let's chat. Roddy Campbell, Managing Director, New Business. Thank you so much for taking us inside sponsorship at Universal Music Group. All right. Thanks, Daniel. It's been fun. One of the things I love about hosting this podcast and chatting to people like Roddy is just how much I hadn't considered around sponsorship in a guest's area or their business or their part of the industry. And to be honest, it's kind of why we produce this show for you, to expose you to those types of things. And I'm not embarrassed to say that I found that chat with Roddy really eye-opening. I had no idea the breadth and depth of their sponsorship activity. So once again, thank you so much to Roddy for taking us inside sponsorship at Universal Music Group. It was fascinating. And of course, if you want to find out more about Universal, simply head to their website, universalmusic.com. And also you can connect with Roddy by searching LinkedIn for Roddy Campbell. Of course, we'll have links to those and one to Mark's blog in the show notes at sponsor.net. That's about all we have time for in episode 60. I hope you loved it. And also don't forget that if you'd like a shout out, just get in contact and I'll make that happen for you. We really would love to hear from you. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email at daniel at sponserve.net or on Twitter using the handle at sponserve. And if you want to connect with our MD, Mark Thompson, you can email him on mark at sponserve.net or you can also find him on LinkedIn. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Sponserve. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. for listening to the show for more episodes blogs and resources head to sponserve.net or search for sponserve on facebook twitter or linkedin